0: It's Jay and today I wanted to take you inside a party probably not what you're thinking about. It's it's (laughs) Although I'd love to go to an actual party right now Personally, i'm still in lockdown with two little kids, but this party is audio only It was recorded and produced by a podcast production agency called pacific content and their client adobe This party does not feature other human beings. I mean you hear voices and sounds made by human beings but they are the personified versions of fonts, typefaces, you know, like Ariel and Times New Roman, that kind of thing. I have admired this show since it first started and it's been a long time coming. I did want to talk to the people behind it. There's a really old episode of Three Clips wherein it's just me and a former colleague of mine deconstructing the show from our vantage point. But I thought in the back of my head, someday it'd be great to talk to them. And today, my friend, today is that day. Welcome to Three Clips, where podcasters take us inside their process a few pieces at a time. I'm Jay Akunzo, and this, Is a Castos original series. As always, this show's goal is to demystify the creative process behind great podcasts and to inspire greater creativity in your work. To help us today, we're going to learn from a couple different guests, Koi Vin and Dominic Girard, two of the three hosts of the podcast Wireframe from Adobe. It's a show about how design impacts the world around you, with an eye towards helping design professionals and the design curious appreciate the craft a little bit more. Koi Vin is the face of the show. He's the Senior Director of Product Design at Adobe, and he was named one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company. His co-host, Dominic Girard, hails from Pacific Content. They're a podcast production company which helps make wireframe, but also lots of different podcasts from some of the world's top brands like Dell, Charles Schwab, Atlassian, and Facebook. Dominic is a showrunner for Pacific Content, and his colleague, Pippa Johnstone, also co hosts the show with Koi and Dominic. Now, I came out of the marketing world working for brands like Google and HubSpot, some startups, and even a venture capital firm. I've seen a lot of content marketing from a lot of different types of companies, and I've seen a lot of podcasts by brands as part of their content marketing. I've even produced something like a dozen pilot series for brands myself. And I gotta say, Wireframe is a cut above. It sets the bar. It's at the top of the heap, and other metaphors involving height, because the people running this show, running Wireframe, are not afraid to reach. Like the episode we break down today, I hinted at this at the top in the cold open, they bring to life various fonts by making them walking, talking, personified entities that you meet at a house party. All this from a brand? Yes. And it's great. But before we get into that greatness, before we dissect their show, let's first meet our guests, Koi Vin from Adobe and Dominic Girard from Pacific Content. I... So here's the thing. If you go back and listen to some of my early episodes, it is the most cringeworthy, bored sounding voice you've ever heard. And along comes this Adobe show, and I sort of trip into it, being from the content marketing world that I, I am, and that's where I came out of. And, uh, and I was like, this is great. Finally, a brand is having someone who works for the brand as the face, as the host. So the trust and the, the love flow to an individual who actually works for the brand, not a celebrity, where you go off and find their other celebrity projects, not more of the, the brand's goodness. And it started really strong, and I've followed along since. And every season, you get better and better. I'm curious, what surprised you most when you first started hosting about that ability, about that skill?
1: Well, first, thank you for saying that it's been getting better and better each season. One of the big pieces of work for me, my big journey on doing the podcast is to be more relaxed, more at home and myself as a host. And it's taken taken work to get relaxed. And so when I first started, I'd listened to plenty of podcasts, but it really surprised me how particular is the art of hosting a show. Like you are supposed to be on script. You're supposed to keep the ball moving, get people to the next beat in the story. And then at the same time, you're also supposed to be very relaxed and conversational, but not really conversational and not really formal it's, it's odd it takes a, a, a lot of time to really sort of tune into that wavelength in my experience.
0: And there's nowhere to hide, right? Because like if you, I don't know, even as a, a public speaker, if you're on a stage, there's other stuff around your voice that can supplement, either make up for deficiencies or, or sort of buttress different uh, things you're trying to do with your voice. With a podcast, it's just the voice, nowhere to hide.
1: When you're a public speaker, to some extent, people give you... Tremendous amount of credit just for being on stage and sort of uh, working without a net, right? But when you're on a podcast, you're in their ear in a direct, immediate, and kind of intimate way that you aren't normally. And people are sort of scrutinizing your voice, your cadence, your, you know, your word choices in a different way.
2: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that when you're on stage, there are other shiny things on stage that you can point to. A version of that philosophy we baked into this show because we realized in working with Koi that Koi is at his best and at his most natural when he's got somebody to talk to and speak with that isn't just the guest. So that's why we decided to engineer this idea of always having a producer on stage with him so he kind of had a friend to hang out with, basically. And then from there, we could build sort of the tone, the style of the show around Koi as basically the central voice who has a foil to bounce off of. Has two foils to bounce off of and has guests to speak to as well. And so it does create this sort of, I don't know, cocktail party or kind of casual atmosphere that Koi fires strongest on. Where the real Koi, the fun Koi really emerges And he'll he'll correct me if I got this completely wrong, but lets him sort of let go of the responsibility of the host and take on the responsibility of just being a person interested in the material that we're talking
1: about. Yeah, we've tweaked the format here and there over the course of four seasons. But this past season, one of the things that we did was we just committed to having three of us on. Pretty much all the time, yeah. And I really liked that. It was it's like super fun, and you know, it for the listener, it wasn't so weird to be coming into you know an episode one week and hearing Dom, and an episode another week and hearing Pippa. So to have all of us there, I th- it feels just more regular, more normal, and it's it's easier to play
0: off of that sort of um sort of constant vibe. It's clear to me from the outside looking in, and we're going to dissect an episode where I think this is super evident that uh, Pippa, Dom, you, and you, Koi, all care about the craft behind the show, as well as everyone else working behind the scenes. Uh, The question I always get as someone who teaches podcasting, as someone who's out there publicly and, and has a couple of shows, when they work for a brand is, yeah, but how does my brand justify making a show that is creatively ambitious, not just low dollar, super, super efficient to create, uh, without it sort of uh, fading after a season, the show keeps going and going stronger and stronger. Uh, how does Adobe justify it? Like to what end do, do you do this show?
1: It's not necessarily the most difficult pitch in the world for for us to, to get the green light for each season. And it's also not the easiest thing. It's somewhere in the middle now where people have come to understand that a lot of really interesting stuff is happening in the audio space. We've established a kind of a beachhead there with Wireframe. It's been picking up momentum. The numbers keep going up every season. And it's a good long-term investment to help build the brand in this way. But, you know, each each season we do have to sort of prove our case again and say, this is what's working and this is how we've improved and this is how our reach is gaining. And we do these surveys that are incredibly helpful um, and uh, Dom and the folks at Pacific help us with that to, to get some quantifiable evidence.
2: Adobe's whole sort of motto, its reason for being is to promote, celebrate, uplift and help people be creative. And so if we're not constantly trying to be creative with what we make as the podcast, then we're sort of like losing an opportunity there alongside with that if adobe is not constantly interested in playing in this space there are many reasons why they may not want to or may want to well it's a lost opportunity the way i see it right this is like kind of putting your money where your mouth is putting your podcast where your motto is (laughs) if that kind of makes sense right and yeah we do do audience survey gathering to find out what people think of the show and both us the pacific content side and the adobe side koi and the team are always like delighted and surprised to see primarily like really great feedback. People loving the way we're tooling and iterating with the show. People loving the interactions we have people loving the subject matter and being surprised at how engaged they are with one episode when they went in thinking, this isn't for me and coming out saying, I listened to the whole thing and I want more.
0: For either of you, just, you know, for our listeners who are trying to do something, you know, this show is very aspirational for a lot of people listening. Um, What are, you know, one to three survey responses or like the the sort of golden questions you've asked that allow you to tell the story that this show is indeed worth continuing? You know, like you hear about brand lift, you hear about, uh, you know, uh, product market fit surveys exist. I think there are content market fit surveys as well. So what are a couple of the questions that you continually come back to and cite as a way of saying, look, you know, there's we've got something here.
1: We're taking a look at you know, our ratings and our reviews in the App Store. We're asking about how well people associate the Adobe name with creativity in general and innovation in general. We're asking about um, their recall for certain products that we talk about on this show. There's a, a number of these metrics, and then we get a, a really robust and useful report from Pacific at the end of each season. And then what we do internally is then we sort of digest it down into an executive summary that we share out with you know, all, the, all the stakeholders so they can see what's going on really quickly. And of course, we offer to, to provide the, the detailed data afterwards. But those are the kinds of things that, that we're asking our audience for, and then it's how we're getting it to the stakeholders, to the executives of the company.
0: Let's uh, let's get into the content before we hear the clips. I'm just curious how you plan seasons. Since it is a seasonal show uh, and it's covering such a broad array of topics, you could do anything. You could uh, pick the things that are most in front of your face that you're excited about, Koi. You could look at the biggest trends. You could look at some sort of data. Uh, you could go to your teams and say, what are all the products and product features that we're talking about or building and trying to market in the world? And what's a big theme associated with each of those? Like, There's so many ways to come at this topic of design slash creativity, I'm overwhelmed just thinking about this. How do you actually sit down and plan out which e- what themes and topics and stories you go after in a season?
1: That's a great question. I mean, we do have a general process that we follow, which and Dom, feel free to jump in here because you, you guys are driving it mostly. But essentially there's some brainstorming at, at the beginning and Dom and Pippa and the team, they go away and they research some of the stories and come back and essentially pitch them. But in terms of figuring out which stories to to research and which stories to pitch, Dom, I imagine it's a number of things that you're thinking about looking at and then discussing with us, right?
2: Well, it's a proprietary algorithm and I can't really talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) The algorithm's nickname is Dom for some reason. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It is a number of those things you mentioned kind of put together and maybe a few other things. First of all, it's, you know, what's going to be fun to talk about? What works in an audio space that lets us do things like talk to really interesting people? Obviously, this is, you know, Table stake stuff, but can potentially give us the opportunity to play with interesting sound or interesting sound design, something that Koi has a point of view on of some kind, whether it's a strong opinion about it or a big unanswered question about the subject matter. That helps us sort of mine the field a bit and narrow it down. We also try and spend time finding topics that at least have some sort of legitimately useful, even if it might be a little bit tangential, hook to things people might currently be curious about learning or discovering that has a a hook to something happening in the world, at least in some simple way. And the last, I think, layer that I think is, I find most interesting and useful to Pippa and I is leaning into the idea that we have Coy at the center of the story as the guy who lives, eats, breathes, works in design, and two story producers who live, eat, breathe, podcasting, but are learning about design in the process of making the show. So what don't we know that we find interesting married to what does Koi know that he doesn't find interesting, right? And that helps us sort of sieve out the good ideas to the less good ideas. And then we can land on some topics.
0: You mentioned something that Koi has a point of view on. And oh boy, does the latest (laughs) episode, the one we selected... Does Koi have a point of view? Do most designers have a <laughs> yeah. point of view? So as we get into the clips here, the name of the episode that we are going to dissect, why we love to hate comic sans and the return of fonts with personality. I saw that. I was just like, yes, please. We will be discussing <laughs> this one together. And the very first clip comes up uh, is just the very first part of the episode because you launch into this experiential, immersive type moment that uh, I don't think anybody quite expected. So let's play that clip.
1: Dominic, what is happening
2: right now? Koi, we're at a font party. What? What? Party? A font party, Pippa. It's a party where all the guests here are typefaces. They're fonts. Awesome. I think. (laughs) So, all fonts, they have personalities, right? And what better way to see those personalities come to life than to go to a font party? Okay, so who's here? Okay, so let's see. So over uh, in the kitchen, uh, the one with the bow tie and the suspenders, that, of course, is timed New Roman. Hello. Ahoy! how good of you all to drop by. I'll be sure to tell... Everyone about you in a conventional but authoritative way.
1: Ah, yes, the classic, reliable, trustworthy font.
2: I remember him from my high school essays. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of us do. And oh, look out over there uh, by the beer keg! Of course, not gonna believe. Uh, He's loud and he's wearing cargo shorts. Uh, It's impact. Says to him, buddy. With a face like that, you're everyone's type. <laughs> you can't miss him, can you? Mm-hmm. You really, really can't. Unlike, uh, say, Ariel over there. She's sitting on the floor by the couch, the one all dressed in flowy
3: white. Do not
2: get cornered by Ariel. She will go on and on. Yeah, you
1: don't <laughs> notice her first.
0: And of course we are... Comic Sans bust in <laughs> near the end of that clip. We know how that goes. Yeah, yep. I started picturing like these early YouTube viral videos, like maybe a college humor video where they would like personify with characters, these different people or themes or tropes. And uh, I was like, oh, I wish they would do one with fonts. I think that just speaks to the efficacy of this moment because it was so visual in the way you came at it. Uh, wh- where the hell did you come up with that idea?
2: The pandemic, honestly. <laughs> we were prototyping new ideas for the new season. Because we the, the three-person host format, Pippo, Coy and myself, was new and untested. So I said, let's just try a couple ideas, take it out for a walk. And this Comic Sans as a typeface at a party idea was something cooked up in a, it's the pandemic, we're locked down, I haven't been to a house party in months, I miss house parties. I put that together with the idea of visualizing typefaces. We tried it out as a prototype. And we all instantly loved it. I think, I think Coy loved it right away. I thought, I think he said you were all in. Yeah. In theory. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we had been wanting to
1: tell a story about type for a long time because we're a design show, but one of the, you know, constraints that we routinely run up against is the fact that we are telling design stories in a non-visual medium. And so, you know, Dom and crew had this great idea to communicate the what you would normally get visually from a font in the form of, you know, essentially voice acting and put it in the context of a party. And that was super, super exciting for us and really gave us uh, like, you know, an opportunity to explore this area that we, we hadn't been able to unlock before.
0: Yeah, it provides a, a very interesting backdrop to the entirety of the episode. Like you're, you're there throughout, in some ways, you're there throughout the whole episode and you tangent or take tangents into different interviews. And it's just a great way to uh, sort of bring people through this exploration of typeface and fonts because, you know, I've heard episodes you've done on sound design and, you know, there's different things where the through line are these like really red- readily visible things in your life, like an app or a sound you can hear and here you have something a little more abstract like a font and especially difficult especially tricky is if i don't know the font right i can't visualize it at least you give me that uh, personified character koi who is your favorite to develop who hits home for you the most i love impact because he's this like big kind of bold garish kind (laughs) of guy uh who's your favorite
1: yeah, I thought the, the, the way that we handled impact was really, really hilarious. And I actually kind of liked the way that we, we handled Comic Sans as well. I thought that was a, a really uh, sort of apt adaptation of that, that type into character form. <laughs>
0: uh, well, Okay, D- Dom, as you develop these episodes, people are scripting, you're doing sound design, you're discussing it, you're editing it these characters start to loom large. So uh, we hear Comic Sans. I am certain you have a visual of this person in your mind. What are they wearing? What do they look like? What's the Dom version of the Comic Sans character in your head?
2: Well, this is very inside baseball, but it's also a glorious uh, opportunity that only people at Pacific Content have, is the person who voices Comic Sans is the person I imagine in this role. He also happens to be the co-founder of the company. His name is Steve Pratt. And when we're out having a nice time, he's he, he can get very close to being Comic Sans. I just always pictured him <laughs> with like clown shoes and a weird, ugly bow tie, uh, full of earnest enthusiasm and completely unaware of how disruptive he can be or aware and not caring. That, to me, is both Steve Pratt at his best and Comic Sans at its Comic senseness.
0: <laughs> so after this episode, I'll put it in an editor's note when we publish this. Dom is no longer with Pacific Content. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean a boost in pay, I think, is what I would put. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what what are you trying to do in an episode titled Why We Love to Hate Comic Sans and The Return of Fonts with Personality? Um, what what are you trying to do for the audience that doesn't tip too far into the kitsch or cliche? I think it's almost like um if I were doing a marketing show, it'd be really easy to just beat up on and make fun of like some of these hollow, very transparently hollow marketing hacks and kind of stop there. How did you ensure that this actually had some meat to it and that there was something important to say? And what was that message?
1: Well, I'll say that in every episode, we're kind of walking this tightrope between going really deep into what designers and creative professionals know and understand and are interested in. and what will be appealing to an audience of people who may not be professionals, but are design curious, or maybe just a a general audience. So with this episode, what we're trying to do is sort of take some of the, you know, debate, controversy, sort of the fun of having a favorite typeface and make it more relatable to a wider audience. And at the same time, try to tell a story of why this is interesting or relevant today you know the macro trends that are you know prevalent in 2021 that's we want to root it in something current so those are i think some of the vectors that, that we're thinking about
2: and that speaks to the sort of the method behind the madness of every episode we do where we'll come to the table with an idea for you know a subject matter and a general format for it like in this case it started with, I really want to talk about how much I personally hate Comic Sans, and then we bring it to the table, and Koi and the team poke at it and make sure the right questions are being asked that elevate the genesis of the idea to something that lands with a bigger punch, that has a bigger point to make. We could have made an entire episode exclusively about Comic Sans, its birth, its history, why it fails, why it doesn't work. and. It probably would have been fine, but it wouldn't have been as interesting as where we go because Koi pushes us to go beyond that to a bigger conversation about kind of like why fonts matter and what are actual type designers and typographers thinking about in the world of fonts today and design today that Comic Sans is sort of a vestige of, or at least an introduction into a much bigger and more interesting and frankly, more important conversation about design and typography.
0: Are there any discussions to be had about what would Adobe's, like the brands take on this be or the angle or the opinion or the platform on this be? Or is it, you know, because Koi is a design veteran, Koi has the trust of his colleagues. uh, It's sort of through the lens of you Koi that you land on that. Or are there some brand guidelines or a PDF or some sort of editorial board internally at the brand to ensure it's sort of aligned with what what is happening around, you know, a very large surface area company.
1: Yeah. I would say that Adobe as a company, as a brand, they put a lot of trust in their employees, all of their brand representatives to be adults and to be good custodians of, you know, their values. And that responsibility we we take pretty seriously when we're sitting around brainstorming the show and we're recording it. And, you know, we're, we're trying to be mindful that we can't speak for all of Adobe when we have an opinion, we have to sort of speak for ourselves in certain cases. And we also don't need to pick fights unnecessarily. What we want to do is tell a story about design and creativity that really brings more people into the tent. And when we have a show that we think might push up against some of the, you know, the safety borders of the area that we're playing in will solicit you know, the input that's necessary from our communications team, from our brand team. But they generally, they have a light touch when it comes to giving us input. So I think all in all, it's been a really smooth process putting this show together.
2: I would even add to that and say like, like for instance, we did an episode about how design can support The fight for racial justice and we knew that adobe had a position on this and a way of communicating its support of that movement so of course we worked with the some some levels up of the team to make sure that the story was told properly and not only were they light touch on the feedback but their feedback helped make a better episode the feedback helped elevate the storytelling to make sure that we were saying truthfully what needed to be said and it, was, it ended up being an episode that Adobe could absolutely stand behind and that we're very proud of.
0: Let's go to the second clip. So we're going to continue in the same episode, because I, honestly, I just want to stay inside this party for way longer than your actual runtime. So this is my chance to do that. We're going to stay in the party. You're in the font party in this clip. It's about nine minutes into the episode, and we've been told that you're looking for Stephen Coles, and uh, you're going to talk to him about why Comic Sans has stuck around for so long. Let's play the clip.
2: Okay, Stephen Coles, he must be in this crowd here somewhere. Oh, hey, there's and Calibri. The and I just figured, well, might as well get out while I'm writing hi. And they said, let's come up with a few options.
1: Uh, she must be talking about how she's going to be replaced as the default font in Microsoft Office
2: next year. <laughs> oh, yeah. I read that. Game and point. there's like five new fonts in contention. Microsoft wants customer feedback to help pick the winner. Right. I bet German isn't one of those fonts, though, right? No, I don't think so. Why? Well, because he was effectively banned by a U.S. Court of Appeals in March because apparently he's too hard to read on computers. Screens. Well, he
1: is a pretty thin seraphon. <laughs> I mean, I can see that being a problem. You know, back in my
2: day, we didn't need and machines to Oh, actually, there he is, right there.
0: All we needed was a few reams of paper and a bag of staples.
2: Stif- so, this Stephen Coles guy we're looking for—he's a type expert.
1: Yeah, that's right. He wrote the Anatomy of Type, and he also co-publishes Fonts in Use and Typographica, two really great typography websites.
2: Mm. Well, here I see him talking to Windsor, just in that quiet room right over there.
1: Uh, of course he is. I mean, Windsor is so hot right now. Windsor is the new Cooper Black. <laughs> Pippa, let's go in. Uh, you get the door.
0: On it. The void of
1: personality as possible, and there's a hey Stephen. So uh, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt, Hi. but we were wondering if you can settle something for us. Yeah. Why is Comic Sans such a well-known and overused typeface? I mean, <laughs> what's your expert <laughs> answer to that question?
0: Sure. Uh- and what follows after that clip is you know, the guest interview essentially, but posed as a conversation at, at a party, which is, which is so great. So many things I want to touch on here. The first one is, is very, very inside baseball to the production. Um, So Dom, maybe I'll put this to you to start, but after all we're a, a podcast about making podcasts, there's not too many levels deeper we can get inside this baseball game. So he, Koi is saying something as if he's approaching this person at a party. So Koi is kind of narrating what I assume is a script then you hear Steven answering Koi, even though, hey, this is the scenario. Uh, by the way, Koi is going to start to do this thing. It's going to be a little like acting. Can you act with Koi? Or are you going into the tape afterwards and finding where Steven says, yeah, and then adding it in afterwards?
2: I could talk about this for 45 minutes, um, but I won't. I'll try, try and keep it short because it's a version of all of the above. First, we did that party scene to open the episode and then we loved it. And then it was like, well, then, then what? It would be a lost opportunity to just like do a regular sounding episode after that. So the challenge was, well, how can we make sure that we stay at the party for the entire episode and make sure our guests show up at the party? So we actually interviewed them as we regularly would, but then we scripted lines for them. We had them read things like later on in the episode, one, uh, another guest walks into the room and says, oh, sorry, I didn't know this room was taken. So we had that guest say that line for us. We had Steven say, hello, Lynn, to the next guest that shows up. So we use those lines. We basically turn our guests who aren't actors into actors. So what I would say, it's, it's a combination of everything you've mostly said there, where we, we interviewed our guests as we normally would, but then we kind of turned them into actors in actually scripted lines that we knew we would probably need to do these sort of uh, false transitions from scene to scene. Because not only do we, we do what you heard, where we walk into a room and we interrupt... Stephen having a conversation with a font. he then acknowledges the presence of the next guest who walks into the room and she acknowledges the presence of the guest after that who walks into the room so we all had to give them lines to play that mix out and then yeah we mine the tape for is there mm here is there a laugh there is there a sure here that sure you hear that steven just said was pulled from somewhere else in the interview just to make it feel like he was naturally answering the question. It wasn't there before. I can, you can only imagine how many rounds and revisions of mix we went into and how many notes we shared on making this mix work. That little sure made all the difference in that case, and it happens here and there throughout the episode.
0: Is Koi doing any of the interviews? Because a lot of the episodes I'm hearing Koi talk to the person uh, are those redubs.
2: Koi does at least one interview per show, I think, is usually our, our, our hitting average. Is that...
1: Yeah, I try to. I certainly can't be there for the majority of them just because the scheduling is just really difficult. But I try to do as many interviews as I can, and in some cases there are certain guests where I really want to be there to talk with them um, for for one reason or another because I, I really enjoy that part of it.
0: Yeah, it's a treat. I get to talk to folks like like YouTube. as uh, part of the value of doing a show. Koi, how do you calibrate? Or talk me through what's going on in your head when you try to calibrate the interview coy voice and the narrator or host coy voice.
1: Yeah, I think when I'm interviewing people, I'm trying to make them feel as at ease as I can and let them get to the points that I know that they want to make based on you know our interview prep and try to lead them somewhere interesting or surprising as well. And when I'm hosting, what I'm trying to do is really emphasize like good energy and the banter that Dom and Pippa and myself get into and trying to create a fun atmosphere where when you're listening to the show, you feel drawn in and you feel engaged and you feel like you're hanging out with, uh, with uh, some good peeps.
0: Are you asking for any retakes or like when you, when you say you want Koi to be Koi all the way through, Dom, like what, what do you go through to, to get that?
2: Yeah, and my quest in that with, as a showrunner is when I'm helping direct an interview or direct Koi in performance, it's to make sure that we try to erase the distinction you just made. Koi as interviewer versus Koi as host. I want Koi to be Koi all the way through. There are occasional retakes. We'll do pickups here and there. I write a pretty explicit script and then hope that everyone can sort of leap off the page and turn those words into their own. And it's, you know, it's practice, 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 really, at the end of the day.
0: Well, let's go to the third and final clip. This comes from the very end of, of the episode. And the hosts are in a quieter room at the party. And you have font designer Trace Seals, uh, Seals, who just walked into the room. So we once again get another one of those transitions that Don was talking about. Uh, let's hear that clip.
2: Okay, so Trey's studio is called Vocal Type. Trey, um, tell them a little bit about your company.
3: Vocal Type is kind of like a human centered font foundry. It's not meant to be something that's super clean or super design made. It's human made fonts inspired by human history. I make mostly display type inspired by protest signs from different progressive movements throughout history, from the women's suffrage movement in Argentina to the civil rights movement in America.
2: So cool.
1: Sounds like your work must be really deeply personal, right? Given the source material. Right.
3: Oh, yes. Um, I thought about my racial experiences, positive and negative, and thinking about diversity. And also I also th- th- thought about my love of history and the pride I felt in learning about activists like Martin Luther King, Eva Perón, Dolores Huerta, Baird Rustin, and so many others. I wanted to share that pride with people through type. And that's kind of how Vocal Type came to be.
1: Okay, let's look up your site here.
2: It's VocalType.co.
1: Yeah, let me see. So Trey, your typeface is really strong, kind of loud in yeah. a way. I mean, these are definitely fonts for making statements, right?
2: Can you talk about this first font I see on your site here? The one that's called Martin.
3: Martin is this...
0: How do you find someone like Trey, and then more importantly, ensure that the time you have with him is well used. Because another thing I've been struck by with this show is there are so many elements that go into making a very tightly created episode. You know, you have the scripting, the sound design, the music, multiple voices. There's just, you know, it's not the same as a straight ahead subject and host interview. And so... I'm sure either you need a ton of resources and a ton of runway, and maybe that's true for this show, or you have to be more efficient and focused in picking your subjects and getting what you need when you talk to them. So walk me through kind of the moment you come up with Trey as a subject, all the way to the moment where he's sort of saying these words on the show, what happens in between?
2: Someone like Trey is interesting because he's a young, new, emerging voice in the space that we're discussing in that episode, that we're exploring in that episode, he's also a diverse voice. One thing that has been important for us as a show that we talk about a lot is to bring diversity into the conversation. But we talk about this in another episode about how exceptionally white and male the design field is in that we want to hear fresh new voices as best and as often as we can in this show. And then you start looking for who these voices are and who are the interesting voices with things to say. And in your research, you know, I leave it to Pippa and myself to do that. You come across names again and again, and you meet them and you talk to them and they're great. And that's it. You book them. So there's a real deliberate effort here to make sure voices like Trey are elevated in the show.
0: Dom, I would like to know, you know, what goes on? How do you actually take, you know, a story lead or a subject lead All the way into yes we're actually finally interviewing them for the actual production
2: yeah it's 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 more of an art than a science for sure we have ideas around the kind of story you want to tell and then we find guests who we speak to and pre-interview and see if they interact with that question in an interesting way if they agree with the thesis or disagree with it in an interesting way it's the standard sort of protocol of can this person string a sentence together are they saying something genuinely interesting and fresh and new and illuminating? Are they fun to talk to? And are they a fresh voice that we haven't heard too often? Or are they an established voice that we actually need to hear from for the context of the story we're trying to tell? And that's the matrix that we sort of put all our guests through, which can mean in some episodes, our first guest chases are perfect. And in some episodes, we pre-interview 7, eight, nine, 10, 11 people before we find the ones that we need. Hopefully, it's more often towards the first part of the spectrum than the back end of the spectrum, but that's generally how we, how we pull it off. Koi, what
0: do you see as your role in the design field as a public personality who not only had a social media and a blog platform, but now has you know, a literal voice?
1: Yeah. I think what I'm trying to do, whether it's with wireframe or, you know, I, I write a lot on my blog or I've also done a lot of public speaking. I'm really trying to help make the design craft, the industry more accessible, more open, more understandable and relatable to more people. And at the same time, raise the appreciation of design amongst the both the general audience and the practitioners of design as well. So when I think about wireframe, it's an opportunity to help more people understand design and also help more designers get the spotlight, really appreciate the work that they do and have people appreciate their work as well and
0: thereby drive awareness of what we do and how it really matters in the world. Our final segment is always about the same topic which is when you do anything serialized, and I'd argue this is any creative project that persists, but I think it's particularly acute with a show. Stagnation is the enemy. Doing the same thing the same way without reinventing causes stagnation to kick in. And even the most loyal of fans could start to tune out. So I'm curious, maybe each of you can take a turn at this, uh, starting with Koi, what are you excited to try or to experiment with or to change that you haven't done yet on the show as you move forward? Well, I'll say at the start of every season, I am
1: really pumped because I really enjoy this whole process. It's it's just tremendous fun putting the show together, and I hope that comes through. And I think that's one of kind of the prerequisites for making a good show is that you feel like the hosts are really, really invested in it and are having a great time. But I also feel like the beginning of each season is an opportunity to really look back at the previous season and think about what we want to do differently, what we want to change up. And at the start of every season, we've done that. We said, let's, tinker with this, let's tinker with that, and let's try to push ourselves a little bit more. And, you know, thinking ahead into you know season five, you know, we haven't started production on it yet, but, you know, I can think of all kinds of things that I'd, I'd want to tinker with. I feel like the Comic Sans episode kind of opened a door for us, and I want to go further down that road of just being really adventurous with the format and the premise of the episode and the sound design and, and the voice acting and so forth. So I think there's there's a lot of fun stuff that we can do, and it's just you know, a question of get, getting started and getting everybody um, on the same page.
2: I'm always interested in tricking a listener into learning something, and the best way to trick somebody into learning something is to entertain the hell out of them. And also, there are a lot of podcasts out there, and no one can keep up with them, and it's very easy for me to listen to something, get immediately bored, and move on. So I'm not going to make, I'm trying my best to make a podcast that doesn't bore me that has some flavor of entertainment, of joy, of levity, of mirth, of creativity, of originality that keeps the momentum going in the episode. And that's an endless quest, right? I'm never going to reach the pinnacle of that as a creator. And as a team, that's the creative joy of it. Like Koi just hit on it. That last episode of the season, the Comic Sense episode, I agree. It totally opened up Something about the show for us that we as a team haven't even properly debriefed on, right? We're holding on to that for the next kickoff, likely, right? So I think we're bringing an enthusiasm to whatever the next season's going to sound like to keep tinkering, keep iterating. I'm a little concerned that he says he's got lots of notes, but we'll see what happens when we actually have that conversation. <laughs> and that's what it is. Like, trick you into having fun and learning something. If you can pull that off at least to a certain percentage, then I think you're on the right track to addressing that fear of stagnation.
0: Well, thank you both so much for making this show and also for uh, maybe not going too far into the design of podcasts. I feel like I might then have a new competitor or maybe I have a guest opportunity. We'll see. That's my pitch slash warning. Take it or I don't know, one or the
2: other. We're around for you, Jay. Thank you. Oh God, I feel supported.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm at a party with real people instead of personified people. Although at this point, I would take the personified ones. Mm. Um, the show is Wireframe from Adobe. Koi, Dom, thank you so much for the work you do. I really appreciate you coming on the show.
2: Thanks, Jay. It was really fun. You bet. And I just want to make sure that at the end of the Comic Sans episode, you did catch the Easter egg that we snuck in there.
0: I've listened to it twice in full. What, what is it? I also have a toddler and an infant, so I don't have any memory
2: at all. Uh, at the very, very, very end of the episode, we sneak in one last interaction with a very weird font named Wingding.
0: Yes, 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 yes. I caught that. That was yeah. so, so good.
2: Yeah. I just mentioned it because the, the last thing I wa- I will say is uh, as a creator, as a creative, we work together on this. So like, Always try and find something in every episode that you put in there, kind of just for you. Oh, I love that.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can find all episodes on our website and support the show by sending a friend there. That's threeclipspodcast.com. This episode was produced by Jude Brewer. His first on three clips, welcome to the team Jude. Our music was created by Tyler Litwin. My work can be found at jayaconzo.com, including my narrative podcast about creativity at work, Unthinkable, along with my books, newsletter, courses, and other projects. Three Clips is a Castos original series. Castos believes that podcasts are about going deeper in a world trending shallow. Deeper with your topics, with your stories, and of course, with your audience. So they provide tools, software, to help podcasters who believe the same thing. From hosting and distributing your show to measuring and analyzing it, and new this year, private podcasting tools. So you can make a private show for your VIPs, your subscribers, or even your internal team. Learn more at castos.com, that's C-A-S-T-O-S.com, and be sure to check out their private podcasting tools, most especially. All these links are in your show notes. All right, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe making meaningful work is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with me, and I'll talk to you every Monday with a brand new episode of 3 Clips. Until then, keep making what matters. See ya.